fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Habner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Well, Pack, what's going on? We are thrilled to welcome on NFL's own Marcus Grant, who joined NFL.com in 2011 as an editor for their fantasy football team and has since seen his role evolve into TV appearances on NFL Fantasy Live. He also hosts their Fantasy Live podcast and has his own show, which I love, on YouTube, the show to be named later. Fantastic, just funny content hitting all the relevant topics. Uh, which is fantastic. Uh, a nice little fantasy break for you over there. But Marcus, I really appreciate your time for coming on. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, you know now we're starting to crank things up. We have we have what I like to call football like substance. Like we don't have actual mm-hmm. football yet. It's football like substance that we got. But that's good enough after the break. Absolutely, you're right. Exactly. The training camps in the air. I mean, big injuries. We're we'll actually dive right into it. Uh, but it does feel nice to actually. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but a year after having no real training camp in the buzz season, it just feels that much better this year to finally have like football in July and early August. Are you feeling the same way? Yeah, it kind of does. You know, and I think at least part of it for me is that like it's it's sort of a marker of time, right? Like it gives mm. you an idea of what's coming. Like you know, uh, you know, for us, it's like hey, summer is is coming to a close, fall is starting. Um, I like seasons, right? And so this is sort of the. Uh, without you know looking at the calendar, it's sort of the the way you know that the seasons are starting to change. Right, exactly. Taking our time uh, through the football schedule. We know it's the spring because it's the draft. We know it's uh, the end of summer because the seasons here. Exactly. It's our like our like sundial in a way uh, to, to keep the schedule. Absolutely. Well, today we get we got a great agenda. We're going to preview some sophomore running backs uh, that that Marcus has been breaking down in an awesome Rorschach test, uh, which guys have been crossing the test, which ones haven't. We'll also be talking about fantasy strength of schedule. So we got a loaded agenda here that I'm stoked to dive into. Uh, But before we get into any of that, there has been some big news that I'd love to tackle with you in that Carson Wentz is not only most people watching this already might know that out five to 12 weeks, pretty wide range there, but also now Quentin Nelson, the stud guard, best guard in pro football focuses grades last year is also now out with pretty much the same exact injury they're labeling it. Which is wild. I loved your tweet today where you tweeted out, you know, Michael Scott from the office and his football <laughs> on ice and whatnot. But so true. It's obviously got to have some sort of, you know, I don't know how big of an impact it's going to have in your rankings. But I'd love to break that down with you. Is this is this shaking anything up for you in the Colts players? Well, in in the passing side, not so much. I mean, look, I I sort of believed in the the hope for resurrection of Carson Wentz. And I I I sort of believed in it last year. Obviously, it didn't happen. But this year I thought, okay, he's back with Frank Reich. He's behind a good offensive line. Like maybe this is the year it can happen. Um, now with him out anywhere between five to twelve weeks, which to me it seems like a, an odd range of time. Right. But you know, what do I know? I just write about fake football for a living. Um, <laughs> I, I you know, I, I feel like he's he's undraftable at this point, right? Because he was you were hoping for the best with him. You weren't expecting it necessarily. And now knowing that he could miss, you know, a couple, three months, it's just impossible to draft him on the same yeah. front. I I love Michael Pittman. Um, 
Part of it, I will admit, is being a USC homer and always rooting for Trojans yeah. wherever I can. But part of it is also that I do believe he can blossom into something really good. I, I felt like the Colts wide receivers were sort of speculative at best, right? Like you, you were taking a shot at Pittman in the kind of the, the middle to late rounds. You know, I don't know how, depending on how you feel about Paris Campbell or Zach Pascal or somebody like that, or an old T.Y. Hilton, you know, maybe you're taking a shot at them. Now, I don't know how much you're really drafting those guys, if at all. I think Pittman still retains some value, but even then, he's late. Excuse me, he's late in the draft uh, at this point. So it's it's hard to get really excited about them. The one guy that I thought we could sort of hold on to, though, through all this was going to be Jonathan Taylor. Um, mm -hmm. But then losing Quentin Nelson ends up being a huge blow to Jonathan Taylor. I, I was seeing him go in the top five, top six picks consistently uh, leading up until now. I am very curious to see what's going to happen to him in the next week or so, how that ADP takes a hit, because it's definitely going to take a hit. I think mm -hmm. what sort of keeps him afloat is knowing the volume he's going to get. You know, if, if they really are going to run with Jacob Eason at quarterback, that means they're going to have to lean pretty heavily potentially yeah. on Jonathan Taylor. So I think that volume still sort of keeps him afloat uh, and maybe in a, the, the fringe RB1 sort of range. But I think anybody who was taking shots at him with like the sixth pick in their draft, uh, that that suddenly becomes a little bit too rich because I don't think he can give you now the return on that that draft investment. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100 percent, especially given that he was fairly game script dependent last year. And, and you got to imagine the Colts aren't going to be leading all too early and often, at least until Wentz and the line are fully back and intact. So it's that kind of balance of, yes, they're going to lean on that run game a lot more if and when they can, they might have to abandon it earlier if they get down a lot too. So it is such a tricky balance. I haven't finished final, you know, fully finalizing my rankings in the aftermath, but he's definitely taking a hit. And I'm kind of debating, do I put him below, say, an even Antonio Gibson or one of those levels of guys? So we will see kind of where it all shakes out uh, with him, these other sophomore running backs. And that's you know, a nice little segue because you've been doing some great breakdowns. You call them the fantasy Rorschach test over there at NFL.com where you're, you're kind of at harping on the old psychological test with the ink blots and you know, how do we see them? Are we seeing the right things? And so far you've broken down DeAndre Swift and JK Dobbins. And I'd love to, to first start with Swift, your first guy uh, that you break down before we get into these guys or anybody out there that's willing to give this a like, uh, thumbs up, retweet, shares, all that good stuff to help us get out to more people. It's so greatly appreciated so we can continue growing what we're doing over here, Wolfpack. So thank you so much again for those of you tuning in or catching the replay. If you consider you like the content and consider giving it the thumbs up, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but moving forward now, the fantasy Rorschach test with DeAndre Swift. Where did this kind of idea come from anyways in the first place? And then maybe dive into Swift and what you've kind of found while you were examining him. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It, it came into it was a thing that that we talked about on our podcast last year, myself and, and Michael F. Florio, that there are some guys out there that you sort of see what you want to see in them. Right. And it's sort of like, you know, you look at the ink blots and you see something and then, you know, you have some, you know, some professional tell you like what that means or whatever for you. Yeah. But there were there were a handful of guys out there where it just felt like, you know, there was a debate over them and people kind of had had stake the claim one way or another so deandre swift happened to be one of those guys going into the offseason you know people loved what he might be able to do in that detroit offense uh, i think talent wise i mean i don't think anybody debates his ability it's just the situation that he was in and 
you know, on the one hand, I think people looked at him and said, well, look, look at what they have in that offense. Why won't they lean on DeAndre Swift and give him a whole bunch of opportunity? Uh, and I think, you know, that's certainly one way to look at it. But the other way, the, the way that I'm sort of leaning right now is the Lions haven't done anything to make me believe that they want to load him up as a true workhorse. They bring in Jamal Williams in the offseason. Uh, and you know, you have Anthony Lynn, the new offensive coordinator, basically saying, I see Jamal Williams as an A-type back, a guy who can yeah. sort of do everything. Plus, we've seen what Williams did all those years in Green Bay. He was a good player. Uh, you know, he was very productive for the Packers for all those years. So that automatically thinks is going to take away from Swift's opportunities. Now they've got a quarterback in Jared Goff who really wasn't big on throwing to the running back during his times uh, with the Rams. So you wonder how, how that's going to affect Swift's already potentially limited targets to begin with. Then you know, throw in the fact that this offense really just might not be very good this year. Um, you know, and if, if they're not scoring points, if they're not moving the ball, then suddenly that puts a cap on what DeAndre Swift can be. I still understand people who were taking him maybe late second, early third round just because of the running backs out there, especially at that tier. He's going to get a ton of work. He's going to get a ton of opportunity. But I do feel like it might not be as great as people want it to be. I really do think Jamal Williams is going to have a big role in here. So for all the excitement and all the hope that a lot of people have for DeAndre Swift, uh, I'm I'm going to be you know Buzz Killington and pour some cold water on it because I'm not sure that it's going to turn out as great as people want it to be. Yeah, it's such a tricky balance. As you say, the talent is so real, but the team is just so gross. Jared Goff, as you say in your article, the second fewest running back targets the last year or two uh, to the position, which is, does suggest it couldn't be as crystal clear as some might think. They did vacate, though, 360 targets, which you know, 64% of their workload, 243 carries as well, which was 66%. So there is so much up for grabs that even if Williams does have a role, there could still be enough for him. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I actually find myself landing Williams in almost every draft I do. And if Swift falls like the late third, of course I'm going to take that shot. I mean, in games where he had 12 or more carries, he averaged over 21 fantasy points per game. That would have been the running back three. And it doesn't seem like it's that tall of a task to ask 12 or more carries. But then again, if they're always playing from behind, you know, there is such a, a interesting bounce. But I have seen him fall into like late third now, which at that point, the upside really is there. Deuce Staley also recently just said, we could maybe make this guy a 25, you know, he's your feature player, give him 25 plus carries a game. But he also said the same thing about Miles Sanders last year. We saw <laughs> that worked out. So I don't know what, whether to believe a word that comes out of his mouth or not. Uh, there, I, I get what you're saying, though. You can always, you can see it however you want. Um, and there, there's a bunch of narratives to be made. I love if he's fallen in mid round three or so. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I'm not taking that, that top of the draft. I love the receivers there, Darren Waller, uh, just the surer bets. But there is certainly a narrative that Swift could finish top five as well. Um, were you was your roar sack test any more forgiving to J.K. Dobbins? Did you see anything more positive, or is he another running back that you feel might be getting a little overvalued in the way people are looking at him? I, you know what, I've gone back and forth on Dobbins even since the time I wrote this. I like, I, I, I think J.K. Dobbins is going to have a big role, and I think he's going to be very good. Uh, I think my my stance on it though is that if I'm looking at Baltimore's backfield. I've been more interested in taking shots at Gus Edwards just because I think there's a role. Obviously, Dobbins, I think, is going to be the running back one in this offense. But you look at the Ravens over the last few years, 
they've done a pretty good job of splitting all of their rushing attempts fairly equally. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. You know, they had they they had the three headed attack with Dobbins. They had Mark Ingram. Uh, they, you know, they had Gus Edwards. You know, those guys were sort of getting for a while at least equal carries until they sort of you know, de-emphasized Ingram in the offense and they kind of phased him out. Uh, throw in the fact that you know Lamar Jackson is still going to run the football as well. So it, that makes it hard for me to fully get behind Dobbins as a workhorse. I think he will see more work this year. I do think that's going to happen for him. But at the same time, Gus Edwards is not going away. They just paid him. They're going to use him in that offense. So I, I would rather personally, instead of going after Dobbins in, say, the third round, I was in a mock draft yesterday. Dobbins went in the third round. I got Gus Edwards in the 10th. And so it's like mm. a, you know, a seven round difference for guys whose production, while it, it may not be a one to one comparison in terms of what you get production wise for them. I don't think the gap is going to be that wide between Dobbins and Edwards. And if I can wait seven rounds and get a guy that will give me similar production, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I can't really blame you there. I, it's similar to Jamal Williams with DeAndre Swift. I actually find myself landing the second half of the backfield far more often just because of the price. And I do think the workloads aren't going to be quite as vast as maybe a lot of people do. So I'm I'm fully on board with you on this one, too. Both of the backs were very efficient because the run game is just so efficient there. Dobbins led the NFL in 6.0 yards per carry last year. Uh, but Gus Edwards was only a few spots behind him. I think at like six or seven on that list. He can get it done. The guy isn't really sexy at all. No one's going to be like, oh, no, you took Gus Edwards from me. But, man, like if something happens to Dobbins, uh, the fact that he's been so efficient as a runner – I like that a lot, too, because you know they're going to get the work. Mark Ingram's now gone, so it's one less mouth to feed there. So between those two, I'm, I'm fully with you there. Uh, I know they've been talking a lot about Dobbins getting that perceiving workload bumped up a little bit, but it's another one of those things I want to believe it when I see it. There's a lot of good studies by people a lot smarter than me out there about mobile quarterbacks just not really targeting running backs nearly as much as a, a statue like a Phillip Rivers because they can go run for those first downs. They don't need to kind of dump it off and make the running backs do the work. And and so that's kind of has me nervous that Lamar Jackson isn't going to just start peppering this guy with targets no matter how good he looks, how efficient he's been. Um, so I'm with you. I'm, I'm a little skeptical on both these guys. I feel a little bit stronger about Swift just because – I think the Lions are going to be so bad and they're going to have to throw so often. And I know golf that hasn't been his tendency, but if they're, they're comparing him to Kamara a little bit, like of course Kamara is so much more valuable in a saints offense than the lions. They're going to be, but yeah, I it's, there's a both sides. It's interesting that you, you know, pointed out it's so easy to see the, the gem side of these guys, but we have to consider the, the downside as well. Um, before we move on to our strength, of schedule analysis, do you have any other thoughts on like the sophomore class in general? Is it, to me, one of the more impressive running back classes we've seen in a bit. Are there any guys that you're really in love with compared to those other two we talked about? Any other guys you might not like so much? What are your thoughts on these guys? Well, I mean, uh, Jonathan Taylor was on that list until, you know, everything sort of went yeah. sideways in Indianapolis the last couple oh, yeah. of days. So I, I sort of have to rethink that. I, I mean, I, I love Antonio Gibson. Um, and, and this yeah. was a guy that, you know, last year was great. And let's keep in mind, in college at Memphis, he was mostly a wide receiver. They gave him a few carries, but right. that was more sort of, you know, kind of his gadget stuff. So last year was his first year truly being a running back and did great with it. Uh, and now there's talk that they want to throw him the football more, get him more involved in the passing game, which only is going to help his value. And so like, he's a guy that, you know, I've seen his ADP moving up. I don't think he's quite reached the first round yet, but you're talking early second round to get him in a lot of spots. And I think that's fine. I would say yeah. personally, I love 
my strategy has been I'll try to get you know Travis Kelsey in the first round as much as possible. And if I can come back around and get Antonio Gibson early in the oh, second, yeah. I feel pretty good about that. You know, uh, I do feel it's been it's been a weird, weird you know, few months for this sophomore class, right? Because we just talked about Dobbins and Swift and, and how people are sort of split on them. You know, unfortunately, Cam Akers gets hurt and is going to be out the entire year, which which stinks. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor now loses some key pieces around him. So it really is. Uh, you know, it's a group of really talented players, but it just seems like there's been a lot of unfortunate luck in this class right now. So I'm I'm sort of trying to grasp and figure out where to go next. I'm still trying to figure out Clyde Edwards Elaire. Uh, I think I think with the draft price being what it is, uh, I think he becomes a really reasonable value right now. Um I think last year, I feel like last year he was a victim of our expectations. Like I don't think he did yeah, anything exactly. wrong. I don't think he was bad. I think we got overexcited about what he could be. And when he wasn't that, then suddenly we were upset. So, you know, Clyde, it's not your fault. Like, I feel like Robin Williams in, you know, in, in uh, Google Hunting. It's not <laughs> Google your fault. Hunting, yeah. It's not your fault. You know, so, uh, so yeah, I'm, not, I'm really still yeah. Trying, to pick, still trying to pick through this class a little bit. Right. Exactly. Yep. I'm with you there too on Gibson. I think he's slowly becoming with this Colts news. Right? We were talking, I might be bumping him at the top of these running back rankings, 110 targets to JD McKissick last year, let all running backs. You can't, they can't do that again. Right. Uh, there's no way. So to me, even half of those go to Antonio Gibson, as you said, a converted receiver who uh, we had Grant Paulson on the podcast today talking about how he's looking a lot better in pass protection in his routes. And just because he was a converted receiver, it is a different position of receiver where you're running your routes from and everything. They say he's looking so much sharper in camp. Uh, those Christian McCaffrey type of workload, Scott Turner from the Panthers, maybe. He, we, we know he's not opposed to giving a true three-down horse workload if the guy deserves it. And Antonio Gibson looked at the part as a rusher last year, certainly has the receiving skills. He's definitely my favorite, but I do like Hilaire too at his price, as you mentioned, no, no longer going top five like we were all pumping him to be last year. <laughs> I think he's going to fall you know, fall to round two or three, but now in a better situation with an improved line, less competition for carries, like more assimilation in the offense, a full offseason. I love buying him at his price. So I'm with you on both those guys for sure. Uh, fantastic article that you've recently put up there on NFL.com. And again, you can find all that stuff at fantasy.nfl.com. All of Marcus's work and all the other great work over at NFL.com uh, is your strength of schedule article. And, it, you know, it's an interesting thing. Maybe we can just start with, you know, how do you compile that? And also, you know, how you use it, how heavily you rely on it. What are your thoughts kind of in general about strength and schedule and how you created that? I think I think it's an interesting talking point, right? I think it's something... I wouldn't I wouldn't put a ton of of stock in it. I mean, I think it's something you look at. I, I don't think you can completely throw it out. But also just keep in mind as you're going through it that things change drastically. Teams are different now than they were at the end of last season. And even over the course of the season, things are going to change. So we might look at a guy and look at, say, his playoff schedule in the fantasy playoffs and be like, hey, wow, this is a great schedule. This is a really tough schedule. And on paper, it might look that way now. When we get to you know November, it might look completely different. But I say, you know, if if you are, you know, if you're you're putting your draft list together or you're on the clock and you are really struggling between you know two different guys, maybe it is that little bit of something that sort of gets you over yeah. the hump, especially early in the year. I also think it's a thing to kind of keep in mind 
when you were making waiver claims, if you're looking to make a waiver claim uh, for a guy, it's and you know it's going to be sort of a short-term situation, right? You've got a guy who's going to be out for two or three weeks. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing to look at. Like, who are the guy? Who are the teams on the schedule for the next two or three weeks? And they'll use that to help you make your decision. But I don't think. You know, I think it's it's a little foolish if you're using that as one big piece of your puzzle to uh, to make your draft decision just because things are are so fluid between now and and you know the start of the season. Absolutely, yeah. I do think it makes a, a fantastic tiebreaker at best, uh, but it is going to be so different what the defenses will be. We've seen some defenses go from the worst against a position to you know, top five within a year because of one defensive lineman added. Suddenly they're great against the run or whatever the, the case may be. So we've seen that happen quite often. Uh, so I'm fully with you. I typically say the schedule is great, as you said, as a tiebreaker, uh, but I love to start relying on it in season a lot more once we've had like four weeks, five weeks of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can kind of reanalyze it for trade deadlines and things of that nature. But still, you know, with best ball going on and these underdog tournaments to win a million bucks like it happens in weeks 15 through 17 it doesn't hurt to at least take a peek you have some some teams and guys listed on here that i'm really intrigued especially by their playoff schedules uh because some of those teams i can't imagine taking a big uh, turnaround even uh they were horrible last year and they look like they should be bad on defense again um as well so i'm intrigued to break down some of those playoff schedules too that you mentioned um, but yeah, I'm with you. Can't be overly relying on it this time of the year because it can change so much. But as a nice tiebreaker, if you're, you're struggling between two people, makes total sense. Well, let's up uh, some people make some tiebreaks then. Uh, who are some quarterbacks? We'll start with the top, the signal callers that have, as of right now, at least easy fantasy strengths of schedules. It was so frustrating when I looked at this because the quarterbacks that have good schedules were guys that I wasn't all that excited about drafting, right? Like I looked yeah. at the Patriots. <laughs> The Patriots on paper have a great schedule, right? Um, as much as I love Cam Newton, I'm not confident that Cam Newton isn't done. You know, like I, I feel like he there's a chance right. that we we may have seen the best of Cam Newton. It may be in the rearview mirror. Uh, throw in the fact that their their pass catchers aren't super exciting. They you know they their big signing in the offseason, at least for wide receiver, was Nelson Aguilar again. Me being a USC homer, you know, go Trojans, but Nelson Aguilar doesn't really jump off the page at you, you know? Um, you know, it's right. nice that they have, say, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry there, but there's nothing about this offense that gets you really, really excited. So it seems frustrating that they have a great schedule. Same with, uh, you know, the, the Broncos quarterbacks. And I think they've got better pass catchers there in Denver than the Patriots do. Um, but I don't know that anybody's really excited about rushing out to get no. Drew Locke and or Teddy Bridgewater. Um, so again, it just feels like it feels like a great schedule landing in a place that doesn't really get you all that fired up. Uh, the third one was, was Carson Wentz. And well, you know, we know how that is right now. So, right. so here, it is, here it is, your, your top three, again, on paper, fantasy schedules are in three places where you're not really that fired up about, about drafting any of those guys. Yeah, which is too bad. You know, none, none of those three were listening to like, yeah, I can't wait to draft any of them. Maybe Mac Jones. I've been actually sneaking him on like one of those underdog best ball drafts around like 18, mm-hmm. the last round. If I got a James White, if I got an Aguilar as a potential cheap stack, banking on the fact that maybe they will get a little more pass happy because who knows what he could bring to the table. They clearly love him. Um, and and he's rated as one of the better passers to come out in the last couple of years. So I don't hate him in like really deep drafts, but none of those teams mm-hmm. are jumping off the page as guys I'm, I'm taking routinely 
and drafts. I did notice in the, the strength of schedule rankings after the top three, I believe San Fran comes in right at number mm. four. Now we're getting these reports that Trey Lance might be starting. Uh, at least he's taking reps with the, the ones these days. So that could be really intriguing, even if it's not right off the bat with that rushing upside. Does Trey Lance interest you at all from a strength of schedule, Absolutely. just in general? <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. I've been I've been trying to draft him late in spots, you know, especially best balls. You try to, because I do think at some point during the year, I think he's going to start. I don't expect it to be week one. Now, you know, things could change. Yeah. I don't expect it to be week one, but I do think before the season is over, he will be the starter. And, you know, if if Jimmy Garoppolo gets off to a bad start, that could happen even sooner. Um, the only thing I would say about it is after the 49ers basically pulled off the biggest smoke screen of draft season, uh, you know, by letting yeah. us all think they were going to take Mac Jones at three, um, I would say that maybe we just shouldn't necessarily pin anything on what Kyle Shanahan says right now. Like he could, he could be throwing out more smoke screens for us. So who knows? But, but I do really like Trey Lance. Yeah, that, that rushing upside. And as you mentioned, uh, they have a good schedule at other positions too. And you mentioned that uh, from weeks 15 through 17, they face Atlanta, Detroit, and Houston. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better <laughs> schedule of cream puffs. And I'm pretty confident none of those three teams did enough in the offseason to then <laughs> jump into like the top five defenses all of a sudden. So I do love Lance for that reason. Um, and we'll talk about some of the other weapons who, who might benefit from that easy schedule in a little bit. What about in terms of hard schedules? Who has some of the worst quarterback schedules in the NFL for fantasy? Uh, I think the worst one, I believe, is uh, is Russell Wilson, um, yeah. which I love Russ. It it I don't think I've I don't think I've drafted Russ anywhere, but it's not because of this. Uh, it's just yeah. you know the way that the, the board falls. I have it. I wouldn't let this get me off of drafting Russell Wilson. If if you are uh, if if you are on the fence or if you like Russell Wilson, I don't think this should be the thing that scares you away. But, you know, the fact that they play in the NFC West, right? So that means you've got two games a year against the 49ers, two games a year against the Rams. Uh, I think the Cardinals defense mm. is improving. They got them a couple of times a year. You know, they, they've got to play uh, the Saints and the Steelers and they got to play the Washington football team. So there are some defenses that you know, last year were really, really scary. And some of those defenses should be scary again this year. So it does mean yeah. the deck is sort of stacked against against Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, Jared Goff has a tough schedule, which I wasn't drafting Jared Goff anyway. So this just makes it yeah. easier to say, you know what? I'm not drafting Jared Goff. That's fine. Uh, another one is Lamar Jackson, who, again, if you love Lamar, this isn't going to be the thing that that keeps you from drafting Lamar Jackson. The fact that he still has rushing upside, the fact that, you know, you can you can pencil him in for eight to nine hundred rushing yards, maybe a thousand rushing yards. If he can get those passing yard numbers up and get those passing touchdowns up, um, then he can go back to being the top quarterback in fantasy football again. So uh, the fact that, again, he plays in a, a division with tough defenses, right? I mean, they got to face the Steelers. They got to face the Browns a couple times a year. So, um, you know, you know that that sort of thing going in, but you also sort of believe in Lamar's talent and the offense around him and that that strength of schedule shouldn't prevent you from from putting him on your team if that's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm 100% with you, especially with Lamar too. It's like the it's a quarterback, but as you mentioned, we're we're really drafting him for that 1000-yard rushing upside too. So I'm not overly concerned that the the quarterback points that against aren't as as favorable for him cuz he's going to run all over the place again. And similar to Russ, you know, those those defenses are good, those division that is a tough division, but we've seen that division also quite often too if they get into track meets and the right games and hopefully that as you mentioned the let, let let Russ cook initiative 
Hopefully we end up getting that for a full seat for new offensive coordinator. We will find out for sure. But what about in terms of running backs? I love it. This is kind of the opposite of quarterbacks in terms of there weren't really many great quarterbacks we liked the, the easy schedule for. But looking at your list, there are definitely a few juicy names at the running back position here towards the top. Who are some guys with really easy schedules, Marcus? Yeah, well, Jonathan Taylor jumps out as the as that top guy, and you know it's weird. We we've ended up talking about the Colts a lot on this in this podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just just I I mean purely by chance, but so so be it. Um, you know I, I talk about you know the division the Ravens are in, the division the Seahawks are in, and how tough it is. You know, on the flip side, you look at what the Colts have in the AFC South. I mean, you know, the Titans were not yeah. very good defensively last year. The Jaguars still have some things to figure out offensively last year. The Texans are just a mess in every sense <laughs> of the word right now. Um, so that's 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 right. six games right there off the bat against very favorable opponents. So that's a reason I think that might be one more reason to sort of keep hope alive with Jonathan Taylor, even as everything around him right now is sort of in turmoil. But but I think there's reason to believe in him. Um, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who, you know, look, they, they have just been a great duo in Cleveland for the last year or two. Um, you know, again, they play in a tough division, but they are teams on their schedule that really struggled against running backs that they get to take advantage of. That right now has sort of become the gold standard for running back rotations. We want every team with two or more running backs to figure out how to make it work the way the Browns have with Chubb right. and Hunt. Um, I mean, it's wishful thinking. But yeah. you, know, you take those two, you take two guys who are going to be in an offense that that really likes its running backs with a schedule that's very favorable. I think both those guys are set up for really big years. Uh, and then the third one for me is David Montgomery. And last year, uh, a lot of people, myself included, really advocated midway through the season trying to trade for David Montgomery because mm -hmm. the schedule really opened up for him at the end of the year. And there are a lot of people who, you know, even if they didn't win their fantasy championships, they got pretty far in the postseason, thanks in part to David Montgomery. So we went to this season, we're like, well, you know, is the schedule going to be as favorable? And at least on paper, it sort of is. So right. if he can sort of rekindle that magic from last year, if he can really take advantage of that schedule, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we're not, we're not drafting him to be an elite type running back, but he does have RB one upside because of the schedule and because of potentially the workload. And if the passing game can get better, you know, whether it's Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, if they can stretch the field, if they can get the uh, defenses to back off a little bit more, that's only going to help David Montgomery be better as a runner. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love all, all those names and Taylor and, and Montgomery again, both last year, they had that, that wonderful stretch of schedules it's looking like that lines up nicely again too at the the most important time so even with all these injuries around him maybe taylor becomes a buy low somehow uh mid-season because it's looking like the colts have a very very easy schedule not just all year but in in the fantasy crunch time as well so all those guys should feast and then montgomery too especially if cohen a lot of rumors that his his knee still isn't right and he's not looking fully back to health yet. If he comes along slow, a lot of it was a product of a schedule. A lot of it was the product of volume. But it, like, as you said, both of those things might still be there for this season. So, yeah, I love all those calls. And you don't really need me to tell you how good Nick Chubb is. Like, give him an easy <laughs> schedule. Like, the guy's the best pure runner in the, the NFL. Maybe only Derrick Henry uh, could beat him, in my opinion, at least. I just love watching Chubb play and the way he approaches the game. So give him an easy schedule, especially if that means they're getting ahead and they can just continue to pound teams. Like love all of that. 
absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. What about in terms of hardest schedules? Uh, in, in addition to this, this, we have some big names in the, the easy ones. We also have some big names down here in the hardest schedules. So who has a difficult one and are you worried about it? Uh, yeah, you know, the, the first one is is the the Bucks running backs, right? Whether it's, you know, Ronald Jones, Leonard <laughs> Fournette, they go out and they get Gio Bernard. Um, I mean, I, I, I am a little bit worried in the sense that you've got a difficult schedule and you've got three guys that can all command a pretty good-sized workload. Now, the recent reports are that Ronald Jones looks like the RB1, which makes me happy, again, Trojans, but also because he played really well last year, right? He he really picked up a, a lot. He was you know the, the scrimmage leader for the team last year. And, I mean, just from where he was his rookie season, which was pretty much a, a, a loss, um, to see him really progress and evolve was really exciting to see. So I hope that that means he is going to get a bigger workload. They're going to give him more uh, responsibility in that offense. But, um, you know, I don't think you can completely ignore Fournette and Bernard back there. And so to take a tough schedule and to try to split the opportunities three ways, it worries me a little bit. I will be honest that it does yeah. concern me a little bit. Um, next to Saquon Barkley. Uh, I guess what worries me more about Saquon is more about Saquon's recovery. The fact that the Giants, uh, you know, aren't completely certain when he's going to be back to to full strength. Even Saquon himself has not been all that excited. You know, he didn't he didn't sound that you know confident that he's going to be back anytime soon, which is strange because usually the player is way out ahead of the team when it comes to rehab. It's the player that is like, I'm ready to go. Let's get on the field. And it's usually the team or the doctors that have to tell him like, hey, slow down, Turbo. Um, The fact that Saquon has been just sort of hesitant, that gives me worry. Um, The schedule is maybe a little bit of added something, but I'm more just keeping an eye sort of on Saquon's rehab before I I even dive into what the schedule is for him. Uh, The last one is, is Christian McCaffrey. Not worried about it at all, just because, yeah. you know, as long as he's back and he's healthy, I mean, you're talking about a guy who probably going to be on the field for what, 90, 95% of the snaps, um, you know, is going to get an insane number of touches. Uh, that, that offense is still going to primarily run through McCaffrey. You know, he's still going to get his hundred targets or what have you. So um, I'm more worried about him just being healthy than whoever's lining up against him. I feel like he's going to get enough volume that it's just not going to make a difference. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on McCaffrey. No reason to worry. He does so much damage as a receiver. Like if they're, they're clogging up the middle, the Bucks are so good and they get them multiple times. But yeah, if they, you know, the, I 100% agree with you there. Um, and Barkley as well, the, the injury is a big concern. I personally am avoiding the uh, Bucks backfield. If Jones does separate though, I'm 100% in agreement. I loved how he looked. I just hate that they've been so hesitant to let him just as soon as he has a blow up week, they, they seem to take him out in Fournette the next week because he might have one bad play to start a game. It seems like Arians looking for any excuse to not fully unleash this guy. If they ever do, I loved how he looked last year. He certainly, I'm, I'm with you past that eyeball test. But until I know that, a three headed nightmare and the toughest schedule, I'm, I'm probably avoiding that backfield. But I'm similar to you there. What about wide receivers? Who's got a very juicy schedule that we could uh, potentially elevate in our rankings because of it? Well, the Eagles have a, a pretty good schedule, which is great news for Devontae Smith. I love Devontae Smith. I, I think the, mm-hmm. from the moment he was drafted, he became the Eagles' best wide receiver. He's the he's the best receiver they have on their roster. Uh, you know, and I know he's dealing with a little bit of a knee thing, and so he's going to miss some time, which isn't great. I'm not really panicked over it. I'm still drafting him in a ton of spots because I think he's going to get 100 targets or more this year. So it's yeah. nice to know that he has an easy schedule to you – know, he he to me was the best wide receiver. I mean, the best wide receiver in the class. He's the Heisman Trophy winner. 
Um, and so this just is kind of a you know cherry on top of the Sunday with, with the fact that he's got a nice schedule uh, down in Arizona where they've got they got a ton of wide receivers down there. I mean, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is obviously the, the headliner, um, although I've been hearing a lot of interesting reports about A.J. Green. I don't right. know that I'm willing to I don't know that I'm willing to buy back <laughs> in quite yet, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of hype and a lot of excitement about AJ Green. But here's the other thing, you know, look, man, I, I live out here on the West Coast. A lot of folks go to retire in the desert, right? They go down to Phoenix and they retire. That's where they kind of so maybe, maybe that's what happened in AJ Green. He's getting a little bit of life. It's that dry heat down there. He doesn't have to deal with humidity in the joints. I don't know. Maybe that's gonna revitalize him a little bit. But um, it's an interesting offense, it's an up-tempo offense. Uh, you know, Nuke's going to get his 130 targets or something like that, probably more. Uh, and, and they've got some guys interest down there that are interesting. It's also a reason that I love Kyler Murray. Uh, you know, if, if I can yeah. get Kyler Murray as like the third, second or third quarterback off the board, I'm going to do that as much as possible. Uh, and then the other one, you talked about San Francisco and and their guys. I am squarely on Team Brandon Ayuk. Um, but but I like Debo Samuel as well. I think both those guys are going to find a way to be productive. And I was, I was saying this to someone the other day. I look at what the 49ers have with George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel, and it reminds me of not all that long ago when they were making another Super Bowl run and they had Vernon Davis and Anquan Bolden and Michael Crabtree. And it feels sort of like that. You know, Kittle, obviously the tight end, the Vernon Davis guy. Uh, I see Ayuk sort of as the Crabtree, kind of the, the versatile guy. Debo Samuel is more the the, the big, strong uh, Anquan Bolden, the guy who, like, after the catch is just really impossible to try to tackle. But yeah. I do think they're sort of building that again. And I, I love the fact that the Niners traded up to get Brandon Ayuk because Kyle Shanahan obviously had a plan for him, and we saw that last year. I understand the concern with you know Samuel and Kittle back healthy again, if that's going to eat into Ayuk's opportunities a little bit. It doesn't worry me quite that much. I think the Niners are going to figure out a way to get all three of those guys in the football. I think Ayuk is the most versatile. And the fact that they have you know some some pretty favorable games on the schedule sort of only adds to, to my excitement about it. Oh, yeah. You're, you're preaching to the Ayuk crier. I am 100% head over <laughs> heels uh, with, with Ayuk. He might be my single favorite, like fifth-round pick that you can land uh, right now. It, they're, they're saying he's unguardable in camp early on is the word they're using to describe him. That's a great word to be described as. I'll take that <laughs> any day of the week. Uh, but more so, he handled you know from week 7 to 15, he was the number three fantasy receiver behind only Adams and Tyree Kill. And I, I get the concern with the volume, as you mentioned, the other guys coming back. But I don't think it's a bad thing that this guy showed I can be an alpha this early in the, the gate. Uh, I, don't, I don't imagine they just randomly just start to dial it back too, too much. Uh, so, yeah, I'm 100% there, especially with that playoff schedule, Falcons, Titans, Texans. He's my my round five smash. I'm going him every single time. And A.J. <laughs> Green, like, you know, I never thought I'd go back in on him either. The fact that the praise is coming from Hopkins, though, does make it a little interesting where he's saying, you know, I played with great receivers. I played with Andre Johnson. I played with these other greats, but they were on the back nine of their career. And to me, it doesn't look like A.J. Green has already done that. This is the best guy I've ever actually played with. I, I'm with you. Maybe it is just the retirement, like go one last ride off <laughs> to the sunset in that beautiful Arizona sun. Uh, so I'm with you there. And Vonta Smith, I'm, I'm also not panicking over the injury. In fact, it's not that I like the injury, but I do like that the team has already come out and said, we don't need to rush him because he's so pro ready. Like he's already showed enough. He was already dominating camp so well that, hey, we can take our time. It's nothing serious. We'll just let him rest and he'll be good to go for week one. So I, I like that a lot. Uh, what about in terms of the wide receivers, the worst schedules that we have lined up here? 
Uh, this one hurts because there's a lot of really good names yeah. on this list, Rock. man. The first one, the worst one is is Allen Robinson, which we, again, that, it hurts my heart because I love Allen Robinson. And yeah. It's like he finally gets some help at quarterback, whether it's Fields or or uh, Andy Dalton. Like Andy Dalton really might be the best quarterback he has played with. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you know, at least. I, I don't I don't know who his high school quarterbacks were, but certainly you look at his college time and his NFL time. Andy Dalton might be the best quarterback that he has played with. Um, yeah. But the schedule is not particularly good. You know, they got the Rams, they got the Packers, they got the Niners, they got the Bucks. Um, you know, that that's not really exciting. But Allen Robinson throughout the course of his career has been great at making chicken salad out of you know what. And so like yeah. that sort of that sort of helps me keep the faith. I'm still drafting him you know, in as many places as I can. Cause I just, at this point, I just believe in Allen Robinson, the player, regardless of the circumstances. Uh, the next one is the Browns receivers with OBJ and, and Jarvis Landry. These are guys, I honestly can't figure out how to forecast Odell Beckham Jr. Right now. Yeah. Right. Like I still know, I still believe he has all the talent that we saw, you know, when he broke through with the giants, he just hasn't put it together in Cleveland for multiple reasons. Injury last year, you know, Baker Mayfield in, in, in his first year was not, or, you know, early on was not particularly great. Um, so that sort of makes me worried. I think I think with OBJ, you will see some big spike weeks, uh, but I don't think you're going to see maybe huge numbers consistently on a team that I think gonna, is going to play defense and run the football as much as possible. That might kind of limit him. But there will be some big spike weeks in there where, where he reminds us who he is. Uh, the other one is Keenan Allen, who, again, sort of like the way I feel about Allen Robinson is how I feel about Keenan Allen, right? He will just produce, give the opportunity. He will produce. Uh, I think we want as many pieces of the charger offense as we can get because we all love Justin Herbert. Um, you know, we, we love Austin Eckler. We love Keenan Allen. I like Mike Williams. So that is certainly exciting. Uh, so this is one of those things where, like I said, you don't, you don't lean too heavily on strength of schedule. It's kind of a piece of the puzzle. I believe in Keenan Allen. So I'm not so worried about what he's going to be facing this year. Yeah, I'm I'm in full agreement with your assessment of all these guys. Uh, I think Allen Robinson and Keen Allen are just too good, and you can move them all over the place and avoid the tougher matchups. Uh, Robinson worries me, I guess, only a little bit in the sense that like the Rams and Packers both feature two really good shutdown corners, Jair Alexander and, and Jalen Ramsey. But even still, we've seen Robinson go toe-to-toe with the best and, and still beat them. So I'm not too concerned with him or Keenan Allen. There should be volume. I am a little bit worried of the Browns, not because I don't think they can beat good coverage, more so because their run game schedule, as we talked about earlier, is so simple. It's so easy. Why would they get away from that? That means they're probably going to be pounding teams more often than not, which means Beckham and Landry, yes, off the play action, could have some of those big days, big games, but I do think it's going to be tough to project, as you said, uh, given how they want to beat teams and how they want to play football and the schedule aligning for that to work perfectly for them. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, what about tight ends in terms of the easiest schedule? Are there any guys on the list that you're you're bumping up a little bit because you like their schedule? Uh, not really. That I'm bumping up, but I, you know, like I I look at I look at the Patriots. Right, we talked about them at the quarterback spot. I like Hinter Henry and I like Jonu Smith. I would have liked it if they didn't both go to the same team. Like that would have been so much nicer right. <laughs> for all of us. Like, fine, if one of you wants to go to the Patriots, great. But don't both of you go to the Patriots. Exactly. Like, figure it out. Uh, um, you know, and so like I haven't, I honestly haven't figured out which one of those guys I like better. It sort of switches from day to day. Um, hmm. but I, you know, at some point, 
maybe this falls under the category of somebody's got to catch the football. I think one of those two guys, if not both of those guys, is going to be you know, fairly productive this year. I know people have sort of made the have tried to make the you know Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez comparison. I, I don't think this is that. Um, no. <laughs> I think I think those two guys were. I mean, I feel like the phrase unicorn is starting to get worn out a little bit, but they were kind of a couple of unicorns there, right? And, and like you're not going to run into that again. I think I think Henry and Smith are good players. They're not next level players like we saw with Gronk and Hernandez. Um, and they also had a prime Tom Brady throwing in the ball. They too, also which, had a prime uh, Tom Brady. A little bit yeah, exactly. Cam Newton, right? <laughs> exactly, like end of career Cam yeah. Newton and semi unknown Mac Jones, right? It's just a different situation. Uh, Mike Gesicki. Right who like I guess all the other dolphin tight ends are now on the COVID-19 list or something like they're all the yeah. dolphins have had the worst luck I mean they've had some of their wide receivers get hurt now their tight ends are on the uh, the COVID-19 reserve list it has not been a great start to camp Kasiki's one of those guys where I I I try to get myself excited about him and then when I draft him I'm just kind of like uh yeah eh. You know, and so like the schedule is not really helping me get excited. I can't point to the, or I guess this is, this is a little better. I should say, I, I, this is kind of helping me. I guess I should say like, that I'm like, all right, I guess if I draft Kasiki, I can point to some games where potentially he can go out and play well. And, and maybe that will help me. But on the whole, like, I just find it to be kind of meh. Um, yep. And then same with Eric Ebron, who, you know, I, 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 it's fine. Eric Ebron's fine. You know, if I, if I decide to go the streaming tight end route, I'm sure I can pick some weeks in there where I can pick up Ebron and plug him in the lineup. But like, sort of like the sicky, like you're never going to see me get excited about having Eric Ebron or starting Eric Ebron. It just is, um, as a good friend of mine would say, it's oatmeal. It's fine. You know, like it's, it'll get you through. It's nourishing. You don't go out to a restaurant for breakfast with your friends and family and you're like, mm, I'm going to get some oatmeal. Like you just, you just <laughs> don't, you know, <laughs> uh, certainly don't. Yes. <laughs> Hope, let's avoid. Yeah. My new philosophy for the year is don't draft oatmeal. Yes. I, I like that oatmeal, one. You know? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm with you though. Yeah. I don't really, none of those guys interest me that much. Gasecki being the most interesting, as you said, but where he goes, you can also get Logan Thomas. You can get Tyler Higby. And I just think both of them have bigger ceilings. Gusecki did play really well with Tua down the stretch there, but that was before they had all these other weapons added. There's tons of injuries at receiver. He kind of became the de facto number one. I don't think that carries over uh, this year. But I guess out of any of them, Gusecki's the one that I'm like, okay, that could benefit. And maybe even not Ebron, but that, that rookie over there, Pat Fryermuth, tight end rookie tight ends don't typically do much, but they're raving about this kid in early camp saying he's making plays all over the field. So as a last round, and again, very deep leagues, like I, I don't really want to advocate for Ebron or Frymuth, but in very <laughs> deep leagues, maybe that will, that schedule will come into play uh, for, for one of those guys down the stretch, maybe Fryermuth is the, the, the young talent there. What about in terms of the hardest schedules for tight ends? Are there any guys that need to be reevaluated potentially because of their schedule? So I look at the Seahawks, right? When I first wrote this thing, it was before they had signed uh, Gerald Everett. So I, I have Will Disley as the guy there. But, you know, you can throw Gerald Everett into the same bucket, too. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a great schedule. Again, we go back to how tough the defenses are in the NFC West and knowing that that's what the Seahawks are going to have to face for six out of their games, six of their games out of the season this year. Um, so that's not it's not super exciting. I will say that at least if it is Everett, who I expect to be the starting tight end, the upside there is Russell Wilson does tend to look for his tight ends down near the goal line. So yeah, there yeah. is some, some, some thought for that. I mean, it's the reason it's the reason we've tried to make Will Disley a thing the last couple yeah. of years. Unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So that's sort of put a, a damper on that. But that's just something to sort of be worried about. 
Uh, you know, you look at Chicago, whether it's Jimmy Graham, I, I still like Cole Komet. Like if I'm going to take a shot at a late round tight end, I do really like Cole Komet. Um, but whoever it is, the schedule is just not particularly favorable for them. But, you know, again, I think you're you're talking about for all these guys here, you're talking about guys that are, for the most part, streaming options. So if you can mm-hmm. just sort of pick and choose, you can hopefully avoid some of these tough spots on the schedule and maybe get them for some better Very options. True. The other one is, is Tyler Higby, who I think I think his upside grows just because. Gerald Everett's not in the picture anymore. So, so you know, that, that opens some opportunities up for him, but again, you know, playing the Seahawks who, who's the Seahawks. I know their defense was terrible at the start of the year. They were historically bad for the first you know month or two. They got better as the year went on, mm-hmm. um, you know, but they still have the 49ers. They still have the Cardinals. They still have some, some tough spots on the schedule, but you got to hope and believe that Higby sees a few more targets now that Gerald Everett is out of the picture. And I, I feel like you have to be more confident uh, that Matthew Stafford can get him the ball a little bit more consistently than Jared Goff could. So while the schedule is not great, there are some positives, I think, that are sort of working in Higby's favor. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that idea you brought up of most of these guys are streamers we're talking about anyways. So hopefully you can get two to maybe even three tight ends on the back end of your roster and just play the matchups, find the ones that are facing uh, a potential shootout type of matchup that week. Absolutely with you there. Higby's the one that I do look at as potentially an every week guy because of that Everett absence. And the last time Everett was off the field, I think it was 2019. And a lot of owners might remember that stretch from Higby. He was like, I think one of, if not the most rostered on championship teams, he had that like five game stretch of, I think he was on pace for 16 <laughs> touchdowns, like 200 targets. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, so Higby showed he can play at like an elite tight end one level uh, when he was used that way. Who knows if it will happen again, but I'll take a stab at that in round 10. Like, why not? Uh, for sure. Well, awesome. Thank you, Marcus, so much for the strength of schedule analysis, your sophomore running back takes, sharing all your insight with us there. Uh, do you got a few more minutes to run through the no huddle offense with me? Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, So as all our listeners have seen before, the no huddle offense is where we ask you 20 burning fantasy questions, the most important questions in fantasy. You just give us your quick one second, whoever comes to mind when I ask the question. So we'll start it off with in order of the first three picks of 2021 draft should be. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry. Travis Kelsey should go no later than pick number. Ooh, no later than pick number 12. He should be in the first round. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, the next Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen, that breakout QB, who's that going to be? Breakout. I'm going to say Jalen Hurts this year. Ooh, like it. Veteran who gained the most value this offseason. Veteran who gained the most value this Matthew Stafford, just mm-hmm. moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> Love those weapons. Love what he could do there. Absolutely. What about the veteran who you think lost the most value this offseason? Uh, I mean, can we just flip flop and say, I was saying Jared Goff. I don't know how much value Jared Goff had right. <laughs> to begin with this off season. Um, uh, how about we go with Matt Ryan losing Julio Jones is, is going to hurt. I think quite a bit. Yeah. That's not, not a weapon you want to lose for sure. The rookie one Oh one in dynasty drafts should be in dynasty rookie drafts. I'm going to say Kyle Pitts just because tight end is so thin. Like if you can, if he really is the unicorn, we think he is, he, he should be the first pick. I love it. Who do you think is going to be the biggest rookie flop? Oh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to say Rashad Bateman and not because of him, just because of the situation. I think he's a talented player just in a situation that's not set up for him to be successful in fantasy. 
Do you have a current NFL player you hate the most, whether it's for fantasy or just fandom reasons? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't. I think, I think before I did, I, I think now that I've been doing this job so long, I just sort of look at them objectively. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I, um, I mean, here, if I, if I had to pick one, I'll be a hater. Uh, I'm tired of Tom Brady winning stuff. <laughs> I'm tired of it. I've had enough. Uh, he was like the universal answer before, like Ed, on years before last year. And then we won with the Bucks. I feel like a lot of people suddenly are like, okay, yeah. I can, I can rally by it. But yeah, no, I'm me, a I've, had an, I've had enough. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's the mid rounder that you think ascends to 2022 early rounds next year? Um, I guess I'll, I'll go back to Kyle Pitts. Um, I, I think I think if he plays the way we think he is, we'll be drafting him alongside you know the the Wallers and Kittles next year. Very intriguing. Who's a free agent that you think is going to crush it in their new home, kind of like Diggs did last year? Ooh, free agent who's going to crush in their new home. Um, I'm going to go with wow, uh, that's a really good question. Who do I love from free agency this year? Uh, you know what? Let's let's say let's say AJ Green. Let's put it out there. Like let's let's just put the good vibes in the air and say AJ Green's gonna figure something out in uh, in Arizona. I like it. Who do you think's the early rounder, one or two that busts the hardest this year? Ooh, um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna say Ezekiel Elliott. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think I think they're gonna go lean heavy on Dak, and I think you're gonna see Tony Pollard start to get more work. Who's a late round league winning, whether it's a running back receiver or tight end, just a late rounder that you think could swing leagues this year? Jamal Williams. Um, and we talked about him, I know, earlier with DeAndre Swift, but I do think Jamal Williams is going to end up being a really important fantasy piece this year. What's the most important training camp story or battle that you're monitoring right now? Who is going to be the Saints quarterback? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, my fear is that, that uh, you know, Sean Payton, who I think actively trolls us, is going to use a two-headed attack, and it's going to be the worst thing ever. Absolutely. One of my questions was, is Aaron Rodgers going to leave Green Bay, which we know the answer to at this point. <laughs> but do you think Adams should still be the first receiver now that we know Rodgers is there? Should Adams be the first receiver, or do you have anybody else ahead of him? No, I was I, I had I knocked Devontae down when I wasn't sure if Aaron Rodgers was coming back. And now that I know, Devontae's back at number one for me. Yeah, I, I watched one of your videos earlier today, and I, there was a stat line in there that I think he had the most thirty point plus point games of any player, not just quarter like quarterbacks and everything. Just insane what he did last year. Who's the player you'd least like to fight in the NFL? <laughs> Ooh, um, Aaron Donald. <laughs> He's the most popular answer by far. <laughs> Maybe in Dominic. Get him and Derek like Henry a lot. And Dominic and Sue maybe uh, on that list too. Yeah. 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 He seems angry. <laughs> I would not <laughs> ever play him. Uh, what's the most intriguing coaching hire of 2021? Um, I'm going to say it's, it's not a, not a head coach, but I'm going to say uh, Mike LaFleur uh, with the Jets. Um, Cause mm -hmm. I really think they're, they're, they're building something there. I I'm intrigued by all the pieces. It could you know end up biting me in the end. But uh, I'm, I'm just sort of interested in what's happening there. Who will you not leave 2021 fantasy drafts without taking? Um, Travis Kelsey. Uh, but but yeah. barring, the, barring that, you're talking about late round guys. Uh, I love Amon Ross St. Brown, um, which if, if we do believe the Lions are going to have to throw the football a lot, the talk of Amon Ross 
uh, being sort of the new version of Cooper Cup is sort of intriguing. Um, also, you know, Trojan. So, yeah. <laughs> Love it. And we'll wrap up here with your boldest 2021 fantasy football prediction. Um, Boldest 2021 fantasy prediction. Uh, it is that, hmm. I'm going to say that uh, Jalen Hurts is going to be a top five fantasy quarterback this year. Uh, I, think I, the love rushing, I love I it. I think the rushing upside and the fact that he's going to throw the football more than we anticipate, I think he'll be a top five. That'll be my, my big, bold prediction for the year. Wonderful stuff. Uh, well, as we wrap up here, do you have any like role models in the industry you want to just shout out that have kind of helped pave the way for you or that you model kind of your work after? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I sort of take from a lot of different people. I mean, like guys who've been in the industry, like I, I've learned a lot from Bob Harris, uh, yeah. who, who's incredibly smart and an incredibly nice guy. I've learned a lot from him. Um, but I'm also just trying to take stuff from folks who are coming up and starting to do this thing. You know, like I've, I'm trying to keep up with the kids. So I'm on the TikTok now, you know, and I'm doing TikTok stuff now. And I'm just trying to figure out ways to sort of keep it fresh, man. I'm, I'm about to start my 11th season with uh, with the NFL. So I got to figure out how to like stay fresh and stay relevant. So uh, as much as I've learned from you know, the folks who've been doing this for a while, I'm, I'm taking stuff from the folks who are new at this and trying to make a name. I'm, I'm, I'm learning from everywhere. That's awesome. I've been loving those TikToks, by the way. Yeah, right. the, uh, what's that song called? Do, do, yeah, uh, you Apa do Apa Apache by the Sugar Hill Gang. Apache, yes, that's, yeah, those have been awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, I love those. What about, maybe it's one of those underrated, those those new kids that you're talking about, but do you have any underrated fantasy sleeper or analysts that you want to just shout out? Man, uh, you know what? I, I have become, I've sort of become enamored with what, uh, you know, Laquan Jones, Real Deal Fantasy is doing, Troy King, uh, you know, what he is doing. Uh, I just, I like what they're building over at FTN. Uh, you know, like it, yeah. it started with Brad Evans, who has been in this industry forever. Um, but they, they, they are really building with some young, fresh faces over there as well. Uh, you know, I've kind of, you can't if you're in fantasy twitter at all you can't miss steffi smalls because she's sort of yeah. all over the place uh you know she's definitely made a name for herself and it's been kind of fun to watch as well uh, also i don't know how the, if they're new anymore but the the folks at ball blast kate and michelle majuk uh who have done some some excellent work in fact michelle was on uh, my latest edition of the podcast so if you want to get to know michelle majuk a little bit uh, you can check out my latest podcast. Oh, awesome. Check it out. And well, that leads in perfectly to the last question. Just a reminder to find any of your work or anything else you'd like to promote. Yeah. Uh, the best place generally is to find me on my Twitter account at Marcus G M A R C A S G. Uh, that's sort of the clearinghouse for everything, but I'm, I'm still occasionally writing at NFL.com. Not as much as I used to. Uh, we got the podcast, wherever you download, find podcast. Uh, and also a couple of programming notes here for you. Fantasy live is coming back. Uh, we're doing some preseason online shows starting August 16th. You can find those on NFL.com. And then we are back on your television sets uh, on August 30th, Monday, August nice. 30th, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Set your DVRs, check your local listings, all that good stuff. Wonderful. Well, Marcus, thank you again so much for taking the time, sharing all your insight. I really, really appreciate it. It was awesome to connect with you today. Hey, appreciate it. Take care. Be good. You as well. Thanks, Marcus. And let us get now to the questions. We've got about 20 questions in here. More come in. You guys know how we do it. I'll answer everything that comes in here. And, of course, if you're catching the replay, feel free to add a comment, and I will always get to, to that in due time as well. What's going on, DiLorenzo? Great to see you, brother. Juan, been a while, man. Great seeing you, man. I cannot wait to get the season going as well. Love that you took it down last year. Uh, and I appreciate your kind words. Uh, it was awesome seeing you every Sunday to help you with those sit starts. Uh, awesome stuff. 
Craig, doesn't it? Mar- I, I was thinking that the whole time. Marcus just has like the best voice for for broadcasting, for podcasts. Like he he just has the perfect voice. I've always thought that. Uh, but now just even being able to talk to him, like it was just that cool. Taylor God, Scott Hansen, just made for what he does. It's it's awesome to see. Uh, yeah, Marcus does a great job for the NFL Network. Again, I, I was so pumped to be able to to chat with him, a guy I've been watching for so long. Uh, to be able to talk to him is awesome. Uh, what's going on, Jimmy? Another Wolfpack legend. Good to see you, man. Love seeing all the regulars here. Mitch, fight on. Yes. Yes, sir. Brandon's back. I love to see it, man. Good to see you. 10 days. Oh, man, we got to make sure we get in one of those mock drafts for you coming up. It's crazy how fast the season's almost here. Like, I think this Sunday there's the Hall of Fame game, right? So we do, we'll have football every single Sunday from now till February. That's amazing. Oh, I'm so pumped. So, yes, we will definitely make sure, Brandon, to get you one of those. I appreciate you coming to the streams. I'm glad you're enjoying them. And as always, share any feedback for any topics or people or anything you want us to do. Uh, those of you that come all the time, I'm always happy to try to cater to your guys' needs and what you want to see. Uh, choose one, C.E.H., Dobbins, Mixon, or Harris. Ooh, great question, Brandon. I lean, to me, it comes down to Harris or C.E.H. Mixon's probably most people's answer to that. I've just been burned too many times. I'm done with him. Um, everything should go right from this. No reason he shouldn't have a monster year. The line's not great. I guess I can get that. But the offense should be one of the better ones in the league with that receiving core with Jamar Chase now there. Burrow looked like the real deal. And hopefully all reports say he's fully healthy and looks like he's even taken another step, right? So and the line like can't be worse than it was. They added some second-round beef. And the, the first-round rookie last year gets another year development. So – I'm with you. Like I, I, everything lines up for Mixon. He's probably most people's answer to this. I've just been burned too many times. I can't do it again. So I personally lean Harris. I, I don't. Yes, the line concerns also apply to him. They they were what the bottom three in terms of run blocking last year, but they weren't asked to run block all that often. They threw it more times than any team in the league. And their running backs didn't do anybody any favors. Their running backs sucked last year. Now you get a horse. You know Tomlin has always said. I want a bell cow. He comes out and says, my teams rally around our guy. I want to feed somebody, get the flow of the game going. There's very few coaches that feel that way. His running backs, since he took over there, the last six years have averaged over 25 opportunities per game. That means carries and targets, like insane type of volume. And they've already said, you know, the GMs come out and said, I'd be disappointed if Harris isn't a three-down back. He's looking great in camp. All the highlight videos, I'm sure you've seen the one-handed catches. Like this guy can do it all. I loved him at Bama. I think he is an absolutely perfect fit for what Tomlin wants to do with his running backs, his running runners, and also especially his receivers. I love him. I think he is my favorite pick that falls around two right now. I've gobbled him up in almost every best ball draft I've done where I start like Derrick Henry. If Harris falls to me, I love it. I've done that so many times. So I, I go Harris there. CH would be my next man up, though. Improved line, the most explosive offense in the league, and no real competition. Like, I would not be shocked. Nobody should be shocked. If he gives us that top five season we all wanted last year, didn't get, well, now that you can get him a few rounds later, might give it to you this year. So I, I rank those Harris, C-E-H, Mixon, then Dobbins. Um, but I like them all. I do. But that's how I rank them, Brandon. 10-man league, do you recommend taking a tight end early? I do. I think you got to get that that edge if you can. If you can get a Travis Kelsey, uh, go for it. Round two, get Waller. Because there's so few ways to separate. I think receivers are always, especially in 10-teamers, you can always find a good wide receiver three on the waiver wire if you need it. Running back's always a little sketchier, but you usually can find a guy for your running back two or flex. 
so I, I think getting that edge at tight end and honestly, even at quarterback, like getting one of those big six uh, from Mahomes down to Dak, I, I think that's a good, good strategy to help vault your team over the edge when you can find more replacements in a 10-team league on the waiver wire. So yes, absolutely going for Kelsey, Waller, at worst, Kittle. And if I miss on those guys, let's say my league mates take them early, then I, I want one, someone by Hawkinson Pitts. Like uh, uh, Marcus called him a league winner. I love Pitts as well, the potential unicorn there. Ayuk or Debo this season? I love both of their prices. If it's in a vacuum, it's Ayuk. I think he's more complete. Uh, they call him unguardable at camp. I think his deep, you know, he can get long speed with uh, with Trey Lance's cannon arm there. So I like Ayuk more, but I love them both. You, you can get Debo a few rounds after. Like I don't mind taking both of them together uh, and stacking them up with Lance this year. So I like them both a lot. Um, I lean Ayuk though. He's my, as I was saying with Marcus, my fifth round lock. We'll take him in every single draft. Any sleeper late round players you recommend drafting? Well, we'll of course, we'll have a whole show on a lot of, you know, a humongous list of this. Uh, I try to think of how deep you want here, Brandon. Like around 10 or so, I'm going Elijah Moore in every draft. I like Rashad Bateman if I miss on more, uh, but I am all in on Elijah Moore. I think he's going to kill it this year. Um, I also find myself landing really late if we're going for like deep, deep sleepers. Love Xavier Jones um, for the Rams. You know, they're saying they're not going to bring in any veterans and Henderson does not have the best history of staying healthy. I like that. You know, that he could be a big down back. He could be the James Robinson of this year if he continues to impress. So I really like Xavier Jones where he's going right now at the end of drafts. I like Javian Hawkins uh, coming out of the backfield there. For Atlanta, you know, Mike Davis should be the starter, but he's broken down under heavy workloads before. I love him at his price, Mike Davis, but I, there's really no one else there. So I like those guys uh, a lot as really, really late running backs. Um, I'm trying to think of who else like I land on pretty much all my teams. Jacoby Myers. We talked about that Scott Barrett. If you haven't seen that league winner one, make sure you check that out. Love Jacoby Myers as well at wide receiver. And now I'm really starting to like Terrace Marshall as well. Uh, for the Panthers. Now that they're moving into the slot, well, Sam Darnold averaged over 25% target share to his slot receivers. And yeah, Adam Gase was part of that. But even before that in college, in his rookie season before Gase, you know, he's always loved his slot receivers. So those are a few names for you uh, there, Brandon. Thoughts on Brandon Cooks. If Watson's QB is Cooks wide receiver, yeah, absolutely. That's the big risk of Watson's probably not going to be playing there. Uh, but should he? I think Cooks is what he did last year. Maybe even better because they have no more Will Fuller, so clearer target share. They're, they're still they're probably gonna be even worse on defense, so they're gonna have to keep chucking. So I love Cooks even without Watson. Like they're gonna have to throw, and he's really the only guy they have. So I love Cooks in that sense, even if it's garbage throwing it to him. I think he's gonna be fine. But of course, if Watson ends up being there, I love it. Do you believe Amari Cooper is still the alpha receiver in Dallas? Did you catch my Choa's email? I mean, our interview yesterday. Uh, awesome interview. If you missed it, I'll just say this. He says C.D. Lamb is a different breed and to expect that thing to change, that target totem pole this year. So I'm going to just preview that. Watch that interview if you haven't already, Brandon, um, for sure. Mike Evans or Chris Godwin this year? I lean Evans. Uh, I just think Evans gets so disrespected and I don't get it. Like he's always going to be a huge touchdown threat. He's a little bit boomer bust, but he's a beast. He's just a flat out beast. He's had a thousand yards in all of his seasons for a reason. He's unbelievable. Love Godwin too. Godwin is a beast as well. Fits what Brady does a little bit better. Uh, at least we thought. And then Brady came in and just fucking uncorked those deep bombs routinely to Evans. So I, I'm about Evans. I, I like Evans a little bit more. Tyler Lockett bounce back? Yeah. 
I'm going to save this one, though, because Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, we're having Bob Condotta of the Seattle Times uh, breaking down Shane Waldron, the new scheme. That's why I do think Lockett bounces back. And I wouldn't even call it a bounce back. He was the wide receiver eight in fantasy, right? Like, he had a good year, but I think he steadies out. I think he gets you consistently odd numbers because of the new offense they're going to put in. We'll talk more about that on Thursday. Who's your favorite rookie running back? Najee. It's got to be Najee. Uh, I think that's the easy answer. So after him, I lean Javante right now, but they're saying Travis Etienne is uh, Etienne is uncoverable is what they're saying in reports. So I, I have those guys literally neck and neck back to back in round like five or so. Those are the next rookies I have after Najee, who I have right at the end of round one, early round two. Um, love those guys. Do you think Odell will get back to the wide receiver two range? I... Maybe in terms of final output, me and Marcus talked about this. Like they have one, the second hardest receiver schedule there. Um, so, you know, that's a little nerve wracking because they also have the second easiest rushing schedule. What do the Browns want to do? They want to pound you into submission. They would run the ball every single play if they could win that way. And, and honestly, they can because Nick Chubb is so dominant. I think the defense got better. I think game scripts are going to very heavily favor Nick Chubb in the run game. And you'll have some big games from Odell off play action. And this offense in general is going to be one of those offenses that puts up 28 to 30 points a week. I think a ton of that's going to come from Nick Chubb in the backfield though. So even if his final numbers are top 24 by the end of the year, I could see that. I think he's going to be a little bit of a headache uh, week to week. Was loving Mr. DiLorenzo the interview until he was down on Rashad, the God Bateman. I, I love Bateman as well. I think it was more so like he needed a rookie to, to throw out there at a, a rapid fire situation. Um, and he makes sense. It makes sense why people might be down on the situation, given that the Ravens have been in the lowest pass attempts for three straight years. Like I, that, that worries me a little bit. But you can't judge an offense for the weapons they haven't had yet. Is how I've got to view Bateman. And I think Bateman. We've seen the clips. He's already roasting, you know, Marlon Humphreys and all these other people. So I, I think Bateman could be the real deal. And I think they're going to throw it more often, uh, and he could be that like Digsian piece. You know, Greg Roman's always had a crab tree. Uh, Anquan Bolden, this big body. They haven't had that yet with Greg Roman and Lamar. They went and got the guy that could be the closest thing. Now, he's not huge, but he is a complete every single down, move the chains kind of guy. I'm excited to see what he does. My man, Brandon, what else do we got? Marcus is high on Jalen Hurts. Do you think Dallas Goddard can have a breakout year even with Hurts still there? I, I don't love Goddard. I think he, he's good, but any of these tight end committees, Hunter and Johnu, Goddard and Hurts, like at his price range, Goddard's price range, Give me Logan Thomas. Give me Hill Tyler Higby. Give me Robert Tunyon probably over him. I'm I'm a little bit lower on Goddard, as talented as I think he is. Woods or Cup? I'm going Woods, but I love them both. I actually have them both projected for top 20. Uh, feels like A.J. Brown when he was traded by Tennessee. Exactly, right? Like, you know, don't doubt the talent. Even if the situation sucks, oftentimes if the talent's good enough, it can supersede. Now, Antonio, A.J. Brown, I mean, good Lord. I, if he, if Bateman ends up being, you know, a half of what AJ Brown is, that's going to be absurd. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Like that's, he's the pinnacle of why you don't overrate situation. I, of course, I, I think a lot of people say, don't even consider landing spot. I'm, I think you have to consider landing spot. I think those people are I'm just ridiculous to not even consider it. But I think you can't just completely destroy someone's value because of a bad landing spot either. All righty. And Brent, I'm going to give you this last one. Say you come to all the broadcasts. So save some questions for me, man. Love it, though. Great interaction, as always. You're a legend, man, man. Uh, but save some questions for the next one uh, so we can continue this uh, this awesome dialogue, brother. Miles Sanders or Monty? I like Monty. 
We talked about him earlier, the third easiest schedule among running backs. That was part of why he broke out last year. Um, so I love that. I love that Cohen still isn't practicing. And I don't love that. I, I hate when people, I, I don't love that Cohen's hurt for his own sake. Like you don't like someone being hurt for the fantasy value of Montgomery. I really like it because he took that workload. Well, that Nagy's already said, we want to get this guy 20 plus carries a game after what he did last year. I think that light switch, I've been a Monty hater for a year and a half. And I think that light switch really went on. Whether it was the schedule or not, well, that doesn't matter because you're going to still see the schedule. So the volume going to still be there? Well, if Cohen's hurt, probably. Uh, so, yeah, I really like him. And last one for you here. You think Chase can have a better rookie season than Jefferson did? That's a tall – I mean, Jefferson just set the rookie receiving yardage record. As good as I think Chase is. I mean, Chase did outproduce Jefferson the last time they shared a field. So is it possible? Absolutely. I love Jamar. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I think T. Higgins – and Tyler Boyd are two very, very good receivers. So I'd be stunned if uh, Chase can pull that off. Jefferson really didn't have much. He had feeling and that was it. They had no one else to throw to. I think there's too many mouths with the Bengals to allow something that crazy. But I do think he's going to be very, very good as a rookie. And I've been getting him late fourth, early fifth in a lot of early drafts. Alrighty, guys. Well, thank you so much. If you're catching the replay here or you haven't already, hit that thumbs up button. Help us get out to more people. Please share us out with anybody else you might not be competing with. Um, so that we can continue to grow things over at GrowStreetJournal.com. We breed and feed fancy wolves. If you'd like podcasts, you can find this over at the Fancy Fullback Dive, wherever you listen, or at FFBDPod.com for all our show notes. Um, and you can find me personally at RotorStreetWolf. If I missed you here, you weren't able to get the live stream, hit up the DMs, hit the comments on this, uh, and we'll make sure to get there. Subscribe. Hit that login, you know, that bell if you haven't already. Join the notification gang. So we have some great interviews that I already previewed. Thursday, a big Seahawks guest. Lots of beat writers and other fantasy wolves lined up to close out August. You do not want to miss it, folks. Thank you again so much for tuning in. I, of course, am the wolf. And a wolf full of fantasy sheep. Be the wolf. Later, guys. We used to have it all. But now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause, oh, 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 and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow, oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show, 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 at least we stole the show. Old-fashioned football right there, folks.